Welcome to Biohackers Live Show. I'm so totally ready for Corona virus. <laughs> I don't know. Here we go. All right. So, is everyone ready for the pandemic? I mean, some people have mistaken the corn beer for the flu virus, but we are not. I think there is a lot of need for people to get their hands on information that is relevant, truthful, and based on factual science. And there's a lot of fear-mongering going on right now in terms of, um, whoa, taking those glasses off. There's a lot of fear-mongering from World Hysteria Organization on the fact that 70% of world population might be getting the coronavirus. And so we've been doing the research and yeah, you probably could get it. But what is important is how do you prepare so that if you contract the virus, it is not going to cause a lot of damage to you or your family. So that's kind of the topic for today for the Biker's Flu webinar. My name is Teemu Arena and I'm one of the co-authors of the Biker's Handbook. And here in studio, I have also my colleagues, Dr. Oli Soviarvi. Welcome. Thank you. You have a pretty cool outfit as well. I want to protect myself. <laughs> but uh, this makes living a bit more complicated. Right on. And Maybe I should have a drink. I think you should definitely have a drink and, uh, and our friend here as well. Mr. Jaakko Halmetoja. Welcome Jaakko. You have a pretty cool outfit as well. But you know, your mask is not fully protecting <laughs> your nose at the moment. It's somehow on your, I on think your so forehead. Too. So here are here that, we go. That's why I have the best protection, because I'm <laughs> from the medical field. And therefore, <coughs> I don't want to do anything with a corona except this beer. Okay. <coughs> Wonderful. So, how have you guys been so far with oh. viral threats? Even five minutes in this <laughs> <laughs> kind of kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's been yeah, it's been very very interesting times. But also, um, I see that this is a huge possibility for people and and the world, and to see how we act as as a as a whole. You know, how how can we spread the information which is actually correct, and also. Um, diminish unnecessary fear but just based on facts and what we are going to do here in this webinar is how you can actually protect yourself without um, putting too much energy and strain towards it but the key here is, is how to build your immune system I'm glad that I, I don't have to wear this anymore. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a, a photocatalysis device right here. So what this device is doing is actually um, destroying our bacterial and viral uh, pathogens in the air, as well as uh, degrading formaldehyde and benzenes. And so this is something I travel with. I use this with my computer. Um, when I'm on a boat, on a train, on an airplane, and basically it's creating kind of a bubble around me in which there is no pathogens, and if there is any kind of um, droplets in the air, um, they're not reaching me because of the turbulence around this. So there's a lot of ways how we can protect ourselves, and um, 
Today we're going to dive deep. It's going to be a lot of material in the next couple of hours. So welcome to the Biohackers Flu webinar. And um, today we're going to dive deeper into epidemic and what you can potentially do. We have special <sighs> reporter Seem Land sharing some of his knowledge on autophagy and how we can protect ourselves with dietary interventions. Only me and Jaakko are live on studio. If you have paid attention to the news, then you probably heard of the coronavirus from China. The Chinese coronavirus from Wuhan has already captured over 100 deaths and up to 5,000 people infected. However, these numbers are reported to be 10 times less than in reality. The symptoms include a dry cough and a fever, but people can remain asymptomatic, unaware that they can spread the disease. I didn't really want to make this video, but I got asked about this question quite a lot on social media. So, will autophagy protect against coronavirus? As a disclaimer, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not a virus expert, and I think that no one really knows the exact answer to that question. But I'm just going to, in this video, I'm just going to go through some of the research about how autophagy has been involved in protecting against different bacteria and different infections and whether or not it's going to work against coronavirus. Coronaviruses are a group of viruses that cause respiratory infections similar to the common cold and pneumonia. In more severe cases, it can cause severe acute respiratory syndrome or SARS. The name is derived from the Latin corona, meaning crown or halo, to describe the characteristic crown-like look of the virus. This particular virus is called the 2019 novel coronavirus, or the Wuhan coronavirus. It's contagious, viral, and causes respiratory infections. The death rate is around 3%. We have to control the spread of the disease. Many stressors, ranging from nutrient deprivation and exercise to pathologies and infections, can activate the process of autophagy. It translates into self-eating and clearance of dysfunctional cell components as well as infections. Autophagy's role in immunity is called immunophagy. It functions in both the innate as well as the adaptive immune system by regulating thymic function, presentation of antigens, lymphocyte homeostasis, T-cell regulation, cytokine production, control of inflammation and survival. Autophagy plays a role in shaping immune system development, fueling the host's immune responses and directly controlling intracellular microbes as well as autonomous innate defense. The process of degrading foreign microbial invaders is called xenophagy. It describes the breakdown and degradation of bacteria by autophagy. Bacteria like streptococcus pyogenes or pathogens such as M. tuberculosis, salmonella and listeria monocytogenes can be eliminated by autophagy. Autophagy can protect host cells against toxic products generated by pathogens such as Vibrio chlorella cytolysin, Bacillus anthracis lethal toxin, and H. pylori. That's a pretty positive thing, and it may provide protection against these infections. Unfortunately, as an evolutionary counter-strategy, some pathogens have evolved to block autophagic defense against them and hijack its mechanism for their own survival and growth. Viruses that escape or block autophagy include herpes virus, HIV-1, human cytomegalovirus, and Coxsackie virus B3, B4. Influenza A virus can also use autophagy to replicate itself. Several studies have shown that coronavirus infection induces autophagy. However, the pathway doesn't appear to be required for replicating the virus. So autophagy is probably acting as a cellular defense to the virus infection. 
your body is just responding to the virus by trying to eliminate it with the involvement of autophagy. Autophagy works great in strengthening your immune system and preventing yourself from getting sick. But as you saw from these examples, it may not work all the time and it's actually maladaptive in some situations. But here are some situations of similar respiratory infections where autophagy is involved. Autophagy plays an essential role in the inflammatory response of the lung to infection and stress. It inhibits inflammation and mediates the response of leukocytes to infections. Defective autophagy leads to the accumulation of reactive oxygen species. Autophagy removes aggregated inflammatory structures, thus dampening the pro-inflammatory response. At baseline, autophagy may be critical for inhibiting inflammation and infection in the lung, but it can also damage lung epithelial cells if expressed excessively. Inhibiting autophagy causes lung inflammation in cystic fibrosis. Stimulating autophagy with rapamycin lowers lung inflammation and infection in cystic fibrosis. Autophagy eliminates infections and macrophages in the lung caused by cigarette smoke. Defective or deficient autophagy in the lung leads to the accumulation of autophagosomes, protein aggregates, dysfunctional mitochondria and bacteria, which promotes infections. Sufficient autophagy, on the other hand, prevents that and can decrease infection rates. Autophagy inhibits tuberculosis survival in infected macrophages. It's a defense mechanism against myobacterium tuberculosis. In other cases, tumorigenesis in tuberous sclerosis complex is autophagy dependent and inhibiting autophagy kills it off. I think that if your body catches a virus while it's still weak and while it's in its infancy, then autophagy can probably deal with it to a certain extent. But if you're already sick, then probably autophagy is not enough to deal with it. So you have to catch it before it lays eggs, so to say. If you're already pretty healthy and you have a strong immune system, then it's partly because of autophagy and at that point autophagy will also help you to maintain that resilience. However, if you're sick very frequently and you tend to have a weak immune system, then it's partly because of insufficient autophagy or defective autophagy. If you're already sick, then whether or not autophagy is going to help you depends on the particular disease and how severe it is. A mild infection can be probably eliminated quite rapidly if you catch it fast, but if you are severely sick, then autophagy could make things worse. Overall, I wouldn't rely on autophagy trying to save you from the coronavirus. You have to look at the other things that are more important, such as washing your hands, not traveling to China at the moment, <laughs> and not getting infected by other people, and not touching you know, these public spaces like the staircase, the elevator buttons, and you know the public toilet, whatever it is. Just keep your immune system strong with things like taking vitamin D, using some adaptogens like chaga mushroom, and not getting sick and not catching the cold. Because if you, if you are in a weakened state of immune system, if your immune system is weakened, then you're also more prone to catching any other virus. So this is, the this, is not, this is not the time to get sick and you have to kind of keep your immune system quite strong, especially during these months of the year. So in conclusion, autophagy is involved in modulating inflammation, lowering inflammation and modulating the immune system as well and fighting different pathogens and infections and eliminating them. But at the same time, it may not work all the time. So you shouldn't put all your bets on things like fasting or autophagy or whatever it is. If you want to know how to fully optimize fasting, nutrition, training, meal timing and food combining, then check out my Metabolic Autophagy Masterclass. That's it for this video. Make sure you click the like, subscribe and notification bell as well. My name is Seem. Stay optimized, stay empowered. Basically, 
we are launching the Barker's Flu Guide. Uh, after this webinar, you will be receiving a link through which you can join in uh, uh, to the PDF download of the book. And there's also an extra materials page for it. But for now, this is also serving as the foundations and basis for the webinar as well. Um, the book itself has been quite a lot of work. I think only we've been basically building a book that would normally take a year to produce. And yeah. We now did this in uh, three and a half weeks, actually. So this this month. has been like, a, yeah, even, even less than a month. So I remember you got this idea and I was like, okay, it's interesting, but do we have like enough time to produce it? But having a strict deadline and a clear focus and multiple uh, persons putting their effort on it. So we are managed to do a 60 page guide over 260 references, science backed. Mm. It, it's a massive guide. We produced a couple of years ago, the Bahakers uh, special issue on uh, building an invincible immunity. And this is a continuation to that book. And I have to say, in the last couple of years, the studies that have come out in terms of nutritional interventions for preventing bacterial and viral infections is definitely something um, worth looking into as a whole. And this review comes just in time. Uh, a month ago, when we started working on this, I had the feeling when I was looking at uh, the molecular structure of the novel coronavirus that is could potentially become a pandemic in the way how mm. it it works and functions and uh, unfortunately i was right and uh, the situation has got worse since now if we look at how many uh, air travels are done every year according to statistics that there are 40 million flights per year uh, on this planet and those 40 million flights are carrying 4.7 billion travelers per year. Um, and this will double in the next 15 years if things don't change. Uh, it's been continuously growing. So the world is more connected than ever. So what is worth noting is that uh, 2003, <coughs> when we got the last outbreak of SARS virus, um, we have doubled the amount of travel since. And we have also things like social media uh, which YouTube and Facebook and so on is spreading information faster than ever. And also science is extremely interconnected. So the world has definitely changed. Do you guys know how many percentage of the world population is being served by air travel? So how many percent of world's population are actually doing these 4.7 billion travels per year? Three. Because you revealed that to me. <laughs> yeah, but Jakob probably didn't know this fact, no. um, so I didn't reveal it's that yet. But it's a, it's a small number of people on this planet who do most of the travel. And if you're a traveler, um, you are a potential vector for transmitting uh, these kind of diseases to other countries. So it's very important to know how you can prevent getting a potential infection. And if you get one, how do you make sure that... Uh, the viral, viral replication is, is not spreading as quickly as it, it, it could and that you can detect things like this and potentially self-quarantine mm -hmm. yourself so that you don't put other people in, uh, in any kind of danger. I think this is a good uh, test for the world, the Earth, uh, how, how these kind of guarantees and, and uh, methods 
trying to prevent an epidemic, how they actually work and if, if they're working. And so this is this kind of a test and we can totally learn from it and then perhaps in the future do differently or, or see what actually works and what doesn't work. So it makes sense that to put, put people in, in the quarantine, but also it could be a little bit of over yeah. shooting it. Definitely from a government and organizational level, we are not fully prepared and ready for this. Uh, and also on an individual level, we are not fully prepared and ready for this. And the research that we've done goes deeper into what every single individual can do. So don't wait for any official party to do something. You can do things already yourself. But uh, we are not sure. recommending you to go, go and buy hazmat suits and... Uh, and, and getting glasses like this or air purifying technologies on before you actually understand the fundamentals that we're going to cover here. Now, uh, what I find quite interesting is this slide. So we have 1.4 billion incoming tourists by region. And basically right now, half of those incoming travels come to Europe. And Europe has so far been a little bit outside of the epidemic. There is now something spreading in Italy, but if you just look over time, um, Europe is definitely not safe from these kind of things. And uh, we are Europeans, so we care about these kind of things for sure. Now, if we look at what is the largest human migration on planet Earth, it is the Chinese New Year, so-called Chunyan, which uh, has been estimated to have 3 billion trips this year. And out of those, 79 million were done by airplanes. So that's quite a significant number of travel that is done by Chinese. Mm -hmm. And it was basically like 15 million people who left Wuhan during the outbreak. And we don't know what's going to happen from that. that. That's so much. That That's so big, big popular uh, popular population that uh, it's, it's hard to grasp even like uh, China is so big and it's so it's, it's so kind of uh, different from Europe and the whole other world that, that these kind of uh, things may get like like this kind of outbreak and yeah and very grand events yeah I think the biggest uh, impact for us here will be definitely felt from not contracting the virus, but the economic impact from reduced yeah. air travel, reduced um, tourism, also to Lapland, for example, here we got one case there uh, recently. And also um, the logistics of, of the world is fully interconnected. And um, for example, it's, it's already affecting the biohacker center as well. So we haven't been able to get uh, some things like blue light blocking glasses and so on that are being actually manufactured in China as we speak. It's actually funny. I was a few few days back in in uh, Germany where there was a big expo, and most of the countries in the world have like a pavilion for themselves. And of course, the China pavilion was empty. But it was interesting to see how few people even went to that hall because of the China Pavilion in mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. So I think it's affecting in so many ways uh, how we think and behave that we don't even yet realize that that drastically. But yeah, that was interesting. I, I think it's more psychological than it's physiological yeah. and physical. So uh, that's based on collective fear. And because we are connected, of course, we feel the fear. So so the psychological side is... is uh, in my opinion, it's, it's much, ma it's massive, much bigger 
than the physiological side and also the economic side nobody has any any idea what's going to happen an article i just read about like walmart stacks they only have like three days worth of stack and then then they kind of run out so are we going into a situation where there's like no stuff in the shelf in walmart for example yeah, this is totally mad max society <laughs> movie material soon like uh, totally mm. dystopian apocalypse stuff is potentially behind the r- right behind the corner but no fear right no fear, no fear. The psychology stuff um, is is key here and one of the key things about this webinar is to spread information how how you can prepare yourself so that you don't have to be afraid um, of a virus like this now uh, we have the chat going on on our youtube channel at backer summit so if you want to comment if you're following this on facebook or twitter or any other channel you can go to backer summit youtube channel make sure you follow and um, i also recommend you guys to uh to um uh, comment or ask questions during this webinar we'll be picking up i'll have direct connection um to our communications department who is uh, sending us messages nate m is asking for example what is the most effective antiviral herb or substance nate we will be answering this uh, yes. very very soon we have actually not just one but many many solutions to this um, question now lacta is asking which supplement do you have on the table we're going to be revealing every one of these every single yeah. one of these supplements here and these are the most effective supplements based on our research right now for protecting yourself from getting a potential viral infection not just coronavirus but the influenza virus or the common cold michael lucci is asking what was the electronic device to create the bubble now this device uh, is called um it's basically uh, an air purifier that doesn't use a filter. So you have HEPA filters that filter things um, with a physical filter. Now this thing is actually using ultraviolet light in combination uh, with a reaction that happens on these nanomaterials that are on a mesh in, inside this device. And it basically degrades um, things like uh, viruses and bacteria basically to their pure elements. So it, it completely mm. destroys them. And this mechanism is called photocatalysis. And you can maybe Google photocatalysis air purifier. You can find several solutions for this. We also go through different kind of light technologies, how you can actually improve your immunity with light. So light, light therapies are the future of, of medicine also. Totally. So they use, use ultraviolet light already in hospitals to disinfect, but you can also use different wavelengths of light to actually uh, slow down viral replication. We're going to go into this in, in this uh, webinar. Now, um, I just want to remind you that right now, 389,000 of people, as an estimate, die to seasonal influenza on a yearly basis. Now, if you break down also World Health Organization statistics on uh, the leading causes of death every year, you have 15.2 million who die in cardiovascular disease. You have uh, 3 million who die in pulmonary disease and another 3 million who die in COPD. What is this, Oli? chronic obstructive pulmonary disease usually it's due to cigarette smoking but uh, that's like in 90 percent of the cases so it's 
It's covered that your uh, lungs are destroyed from the inside out uh, and the alve alveoli that there are, they're gonna be like popping <laughs> off from work. So, so, so it, it means that the uh, lungs are like expanding, but at the same time, it's obstructing the small pathways of air. That is nasty. You I suffocate yourself. Yeah, I, I saw this like multiple, quite severe cases in, in hospital times when I was in the hospital, so Whoa. nothing funny. Yeah, 1.6 million people die in di diabetes every year. If you are a diabetic, you're also at higher risk of getting complications from seasonal influenza and, and common cold. Now, for people our age, uh, I'm basically a little bit less than 40 right now, uh, and only just 40. 40, and Jaakko is early 30s. <laughs> yeah, Jaakko is 17. Old, according <laughs> to Buddhists, now, uh, we, the highest risk for us to die is actually dramatically in a car accident, not to uh, uh, viral infection like this. But if you put these statistics together uh, and you look deeper into every single one of these, you can reduce your risk greatly by looking at your lifestyle, sure. behavior, diet, <laughs> exercise, recovery, sleep. All of those are linked to potentially getting killed every year by one of these leading causes. And when we researched viral and bacterial infections, what did we find out, Oli? Um, quite a bit of things. Uh, I think we have a good slide on that, but... Uh, similar things, right? Yeah, but if you think about like uh, the normal influenza or, or just the colds, the influenza is, is real killer, but we are not making panic about it but i think in in this like corona case it this is kind of a, like a foreign virus or or kind of a new virus and that's why it's it's kind of that's why it's named novel because it, it is novel so we are not familiar with it so so um but to your question is that um random like average people get like i don't know at five colds per per um, year you don't even have to go that far. For example, Jaakko is a living example of how many times you actually <laughs> have gotten ill in the past 10 years. I, I think you have like zero. Why, so why, why do you think that is Jaakko? Mm. An allies. <laughs> Are you using <laughs> well, some, I think that some things like this yeah. <laughs> all the time? <laughs> I think it boils down quite a bit to, to healthy biome on my skin, on my gut lining. And of course, I attribute that quite a bit to my um, intimate relationship with traditional mushrooms and other things that seem to work pretty well, even compared to my, you know, 200 plus travel days every year. So, so definitely mm. get. So Jaakko here is basically saying that he protects himself from bacteria, bacteria and viruses by being fully exposed to them all the time. Mm. Pretty much. So here we can we can uh, come to the theory. Mm. Uh, there's like a, actually a kind of few names and um, an epidemic of absence, which means that we are not in the environment where we actually get exposed to different kind of microbes. And this is uh, the old friend thesis or the hygiene hypothesis, mm. which is which has been proven to be kind of uh, correct. 
So in the past years, uh, allergies, uh, inflammatory, inflammatory conditions are on a dramatic rise. So not being exposed to pathogens and microbes is it might be even as harmful as being exposed to harmful substances. So there's there is this balance that you expose yourself to different kind of pathogens, but by fortifying your own immune system, it takes care of this, and then you create this learned immune system response, which is very rapid once you con- have a contact with a, with an pathogen. Right. So if you look at um, internationally all the different pandemics and epidemics we have had throughout history, if you go just a couple of hundred years back, you can see that people actually died quite a lot in these kind of epidemics. Uh, If you look at modern times, not quite so. So we have definitely improved our medical system as well as um, different drugs, antibiotics, uh, as well as uh, vaccines have contributed to this. Information is is also power. So if you think about the Spanish flu and times before uh, telefax and, and phones and even well the internet is fair, fairly new. So uh, the information is key here. So people don't they have no idea what actually hit them. Right. So yeah. So there was all kinds of rumors in uh, times of Black Death, for example, where that. Uh, uh, potential thing is actually originating from is it from the water or is it in mm. the air or is it in the food or, or angry gods or was it rats or what what was it but um, what is interesting here genetically speaking is that uh, if the researcher researchers have estimated that people were on average 0.01 percent of world population was uh, naturally immune to plague um, before black death And after uh, several swipes of plague, uh, we are now around 15% immune to these kind of uh, infections. So the world population actually has died of, on a pretty regular basis, every 100 years or so, from 10 to 14% of whole world's total population. So we are actually on an extended time here. This has not happened in recent times. But from mm. genetics perspective, actually, this kind of thing enables on a species level us to become more resilient to potential True. pathogens. And um, now we have the technology to uh, probably extend this even further. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But sometimes these kind of epidemics are actually a good thing from species survival and resilience point of view. It yeah. just filters out the stuff that doesn't work. Also a uh, research point of view, because uh, the world's uh, top research on, on like infectious disease and so on, immunology, they need to work together and epidemiology. And uh, I've seen like papers popping out like mushrooms in the rain, like super new papers. Of course, they're, they're like preprints, but, but uh, we get the information like very fast and then we can act based on the information and the hypothesis and also the cl- um, not clinical but but uh, biochemical evidence that might arise from them yeah if you look at the transmission of diseases from animals to humans that's called the zoonosis and most of those diseases that we just listed on the previous page as epidemics have actually jumped from animals to humans hiv is a good example 
Another good example is actually the Spanish flu. It jumped from birds, they estimate. And by the way, it didn't come from Spain. It actually came from China. <laughs> Cheers to that, guys. China! <laughs> Corona. Cheers to China. Yeah. Yeah. China is brewing all kinds of cool pathogens. You the know, actually, uh, in beer, there is ferulic acid, which is a polyphenol that actually might be helpful in, in preventing some kind of viruses. So that's that's kind of like a <laughs> interesting... Always a reasoning. Yeah. yeah there is always a reasoning. <laughs> now, Jakob, um, what else has ferulic acid? I think dark chocolate or cacao that's is, the best. is, is yeah. pretty much the number one source. So one more good reason to to get some chocolate into your diet. But But that being said, I think that for many people let's say with the um, herpes virus, for example. Um, many people realize that it often activates, like if you have a lip herpes, that after you've overdone chocolate or overdone mm. eating nuts, and I think that has something to do with the super high arginine content and that uh, its relationship to lysine. So there's definitely also something to be said consuming too much dark chocolate indeed yeah so indeed. uh it's it's not necessarily just that eat yeah. shit ton of say with the corona beer yeah. <laughs> but a little bit might be yeah. pretty good idea aromatic dose yeah so perhaps we, uh, we should move on yeah let's let's go on i think many so people are extremely excited to know what yeah. our tips and tricks are for nutrition but Basically, the world has become a massive petri dish for infectious diseases. If you look at China, we have now around 80,000 confirmed cases. Now, these are official numbers. And in case of SARS, the actual numbers were 10 times bigger on, uh, in retrospect. We don't know if this is now 10 or 20 times or five times bigger, but mm. uh, we will see later. But definitely the measures outline that probably this is a much bigger problem than what we see here. So uh, Quentin Tarantino is Tentin Quarantino for most people very soon. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> That's like uh, one of the best styles for ever. for me and Jak. So somebody yeah. was just washing dishes and yeah. just like, well, I have this. Yeah, I have this. Um, China is actually now communicating that they are being able to contain uh, the virus a little bit, you know, it's, it's, it has no longer been spreading exponentially. But some people are skeptical about this fact, because if you look at the cases outside of China, <coughs> those are growing exponentially. Mm. Within China, it is actually being uh, dampened down. And they've changed the, the different ways how they look at this. We don't know the truth, but there is a good reason to to be skeptical about these numbers. That's basically the point here. Sure. But definitely they've done a lot of uh, measures. Yeah. I, I think we get uh, more accurate numbers outside China. So um, we don't know what the what the political agenda might be and, and uh, if they want to downplay some numbers or so. Uh, but that's, that's hypothetical. I, I don't think we should uh, put our energy in that. That's for but sure. Yeah. So, but um, Nobel Prize winner microbiologist Joshua Lederberg has said that the single biggest threat to man's continued dominance on the planet is the virus. And he, if someone What knows is the this, virus? Uh, but fear is like a virus you can't transmit with words. And yeah. that is what's happening right now. 
if you yeah if, if you take a look at the news so it's it's all around so uh people get saturated with quite easily and it's it's a it's a psychological test that if that if you go with the fear or if you just take a look like a step back and look it more objectively and that's what we uh, provide also here are you yak are you already hysteric about this epidemic chronic i, I, I think <laughs> that there's something to be said from like psychoneuroimmunological side of things that if you actually start to be more fearful it has a biochemical tendency to make things work right sure does yeah so you're basically yeah. manifesting the disease in a sense yeah <laughs> or at least yeah. like you know lower your immune system yeah. response well we know what chronic fear does it, it's a chronic stressor and lowers the response of the immune system so that's yeah. like basic basic knowledge basic science being shown again and again so uh, it is as important to take care of your psychological well-being as it is physical well-being so just look at the things as they are yeah. right so let's take a look at the things as they are and what you can actually do about this Uh, we have basically outlined in the book a five-step plan on how you can basically prepare yourself and be more aware of what is reality and what is not and what you can do about things. Now, there's five steps that you can do. The first one is precaution. So increasing your understanding of various pathogens, not just the coronavirus, but in general, like to be, be able to understand how they spread how they work, how, how they can be slowed down, and uh, how you can reduce your exposure to these things. Preparation, how you prepare your internal environment. That could be your workplace, it could be your home, it could be what you travel with so that you reduce your potential contact uh, in times of disease. Now, Jakob might be someone who is uh, exposing himself uh, voluntarily to different bacteria all the time. And uh, I'm also doing the same thing. But when there is an epidemic, it's a good reason to be a little bit more cautious. And once things settle down, not to be that afraid of things like seasonal cold. Prevention. Um, how you can prepare your external and internal environment so that if you get in, uh, in contact with a virus like this, it is able to produce less harm. Now, internal environment can also be basically your digestive system. It could be your biochemistry, many things. And then if you do contract an infection, how you can slow down its replication and proliferation in your body and how you can support your immune system in its natural functioning and uh, also how you can avoid infecting others. And once you recover, how you respond, uh, restore the balance of your system uh, so that you don't get a secondary disease leading reason why people die of uh, influenza, for example, is not the influenza itself, but a secondary disease that comes after it or some kind of complication. So reflecting on all of this, we're going to dive deep into, into all these practical tips next. Let's start from fortifying your immune system. Now we wrote the book, um, Biohackers, a <coughs> uh, special report on immunity. And this is something that I recommend everyone to check out uh, after they uh, looked at the Barker's flu guide so they get better understanding of the overall functioning of the immune system. 
Yeah, I um, have this stream, uh, YouTube stream open, so there's one, one very good comment I want to put in the front from Mikko. So uh, he says that the problem lies in overloading of health system if corona strikes in bigger scale into each city, the society, which is absolutely correct. So how, how are we prepared for that? And in, in that, the reducing the fear and, and the unnecessary uh, doctors contacts and, and so on so oh yeah we're not like uh, definitely yeah. so if you if you're afraid you contracted something <coughs> be very very um, yeah uh, cautious about how you're gonna overload the system or if you're gonna go crazily shopping and emptying shelves when yeah. here there is one case in your country so so it's good to be, be pre- prepared but uh, hysteria and panic is not gonna support overall survival of the species yes now let's jump into the immune system. So you can basically split up the immune system into two parts. Maybe only you can give a very quick um, yeah, fly to make through. it things simple. We have uh, basically innate immunity, and then it's the acquired immunity. Innate so is what you are born with. Right? Yeah, and um, there are a lot of things that uh, have an effect on that, and uh, I think we shouldn't go too deep in in this one. Not at all. It's in our invincible immunity guide. But the other one is the acquired system, which when you contract different kind of pathogens, you create immune responses uh, from the T cells and the B cells, and they have memory. And then when you contact them again, it's the, the response is, is uh, very fast, and you can actually train your immune system by exposing yourself, as Jaakko has done, by traveling and, and different kind of uh, landscapes and so on. Briefly, we have these uh, like anatomical barriers, epithelium mucosa. Uh, the digestive system is super important. We have secretary IgA one, uh, IgA over there. So you don't want to have like leaky gut, for example. No, and you have you want to have good stomach acid levels because if it's not if it's too like uh, base. Um, if it's not acidic enough, it's gonna be also getting pathogens inside. So that's that's also destroying pathogens. Very so, you w- so you wouldn't recommend uh, chronic long-term use of proton pump inhibitors. If no, you want it's it's known known side effect that it will uh, totally like impair the digestive system and also immunity. But uh, you can read more from the, the Invincible Immunity yeah. Guide. We should go forward. Absolutely. So some basic immunity balancing factors, obviously good immunity is linked to also the balance of the nervous system. So you balance sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system uh, activation, so rest and digest as well as um, fight or flight. Now, when you spend time in fight or flight, when you run from one meeting to another, you're fully hardcore stressed and so on. It can keep the pathogens away for a brief moment. But chronic exposure to these things will impair your immune system function mm. long term. And things like chronic sleep deprivation, I mean, we, we can go into deeper into the biochemistry, how these things happen. But definitely the things that we have considered as good lifestyle choices are linked to also stronger immunity naturally. And Often when you have a chronic stress and then you get the relief and you have a chance to rest, people get sick because then the heightened... Uh, cortisol, adrenal, um, and, and so on, are actually downplayed, and then maybe the like kind of a um, what's the word like remnant or or like a hiding pathogen inside your system may be activated, and yep. that's when people like they 
Many, many stressed people, they report that when they go into vacation, they get sick. So, right. so there's already a pathogen in their system and it uh, manifests, so the immune system manifests yeah. its response once you get yeah, relaxed. Yeah, chronic infections are on the ra- rise also dramatically. So people are chronically infected, but it's not like creating any like severe symptoms at the moment, but it might slow you down quite a bit and also impair a lot of different kind of uh, things happening inside your body. Yeah. So, so, uh, Jaakko, when, when, uh, have you been like sick in the last 10 years or so, like, uh, so that you know what we're talking about here? <laughs> <laughs> I think this is now a reoccurring theme, but, but no. <laughs> yeah. So Jaakko has not been, but you maybe felt something occasionally. Not three. Okay. No. <laughs> you never felt anything. I actually did feel something a couple of weeks ago and uh, I did everything that I just learned in the biker's flu guide and it just went away in a couple of days. It was mm. amazing like how well, fast recovery yeah. I felt. Of course I, I feel occasionally something kind of tries to get into my system but that's when you start to dose the mushrooms and mm. all other stuff and then it goes away. But um, but yeah, and it's interesting. I think that I, I can almost feel when the immune system ramps it up starts to fight the system but it's not manifested by you know fever or yeah. typical yeah. reactions but uh. more of like i just feel that my nervous system and my mm. you know, hormonal system a- is activated more but yeah that happens mm. every now and then and even if you had a fever it's actually a good thing because yeah. many people say that i never have fever and then they have flus like last for yeah. two months so the fever could actually be destroying very rapidly so that's how children's immune responses uh, work when they are like healthy. For example, my daughter, four years old, and she's uh, isn't sick usually at all, doesn't get the regular flus, but she had had like a few of these strong fever spikes up to almost 40 and it's a few hours and then it's gone. Right. Um, hormetic stressors have shown to strengthen the immune system. What it does, <coughs> things like ice baths and going to a sauna or exercise or sunlight or certain phytochemicals, it lowers reactive oxygen species. And reactive oxygen species have been linked to viral and bacterial infections. So once you get an infection, usually reactive oxygen species go up. And as reactive oxygen species go up, you get oxidative damage. And in that process also, the virus or bacteria proliferate. So it basically accelerates in spreading inside your body. So if you can keep this type of um, oxidative stress at minimum, so basically reducing reactive oxygen species, reducing oxidative damage, um, especially when you start seeing some symptoms, you should do this as a precaution always. But if you see something happening, um, activating hormesis might be one of the means through which you can um, reduce viral replication. Now, Jaakko is, uh, uh, is someone who's been doing cold, cold plunges and um, sauna sessions like crazy. Like, um, how, how much have you done that like on this, average? This year, I did a lot because I trained for the Finnish championships of ice swimming. <laughs> you got, but you were really successful. Yeah, in that I was, one. I yeah. was for it. It was, it went pretty well. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's been pretty much a stable for, I would say for the past four months. I've done pretty much like at least five days a week, like long sessions, hour, mm. two hours. And if you think about like how 
sauna effects. It al also kind of fries your body if you raise your core temperature for extended periods of time. There's definitely something to be said about just that alone. Right. And that also brought to my mind that in, in China they have a nice um, old idea about these tree treasures that you build something up before something happens. So you basically build your treasures and bur bury it. And then when shit hits the fan and you need it, then you can dig it up. Mm. So I think mm -hmm. that that's a good idea or kind of metaphor for these hormetic stressors that you build your resilience mm. over time. And that's what I think I've done for the past decade. Absolutely. I've done so much for a long period of time that it gets kind of harder over time for your body to get you know blasted with such such empathogen that it can kind of um mm. go through your armor so right. i think that that's that's a good idea so you're basically training your immune system and nervous system response just like a muscle so yeah. if it contracts something the pathogens have no chance yeah, it's like a nerve force yeah, right. you I have a more force yeah there. i have one question to all this so common cold so people think that when, when when it gets <laughs> when it gets cold, especially common here in Finland, um, that you are more likely to get sick. So, is mm. temperature like lower temperatures or feeling that you're freezing? Is that linked to higher risk of uh, getting a cold? What does it the depends. research say? So, I took took a look at this actually two days ago. So, there's uh, some older research from the 90s that say that that is it is a factor. Uh, the cold uh, and also the humidity of the air, but uh, it it depends on the cold. If it's, it's like freezing, uh, like uh, multiple degrees uh, below zero Celsius, then the pathogens usually don't even live there. But around zero, then you might get exposed to right. to these uh, easier. But to your point so is so that so the pathogens basically they like cold temperatures and they survive more easily. Is that the point? No, uh, they don't like very cold, but um, mm. it is very typical when it gets fall and then temperatures suddenly drop. Mm -hmm. Then uh, people are not adapted to that drop and their immune system is more susceptible to, uh, to right. the infections. I, I've read actually that um, uh, the the viruses can replicate more effectively in colder temperatures. So that, that might that be is a factor. Yeah, bacteria. Bacteria, on the other hand, they survive really nicely on yeah. a little bit uh, warmer temperatures. But there, there are two different humid. aspects here. So uh, it, it's the cold weather, and uh, uh, on the other hand, the cold exposure. Right. So you can train yourself in the cold to become more resilient to these kind of things. But you, if you suddenly contact, or or it suddenly gets cold, and you're not used to it then it might be a problem so exactly there, there are yeah. like two different kind of so, so exposing here. yourself to cold temperatures throughout the year with cold showers yeah. uh, ice plunges is basically a way to prepare yourself when temperatures drop yes awesome so yes. yeah that, that's basically where, what we are talking about here in terms of hormetic stressors and there is um, basically a dose response curve so a lot of exposure all the time is not necessarily uh, good, but a little bit of uh, frequent exposure to stressors is good. So they studied things like um, toxins in plants. If you take like curcumin or ginger, 
uh, and you take what what happens is uh, I mean in nature it's a protective mechanism right yeah and I think it's also a way that we've communicated with plants for such a long period of, of time that um, for a symbiotic relationship it's important for us to also kind of respect the plant if you eat too much of it mm. it will kill the plant and it's not good survival strategy for the plant so plants that kind of should be eaten in massive amounts are often kind of um, grasses or something that you know cows whatever mm. but when it mm. comes to these medicinal plants it's kind of the way for the plant to tell us and just eat a little bit and spread the seeds mm. and all mm. that so um yeah i think there's something that if if we actually tune into the flavors and you bite into the turmeric root it kind of tells pretty quickly like well this is not that you eat this high, high yeah. amounts every day but you eat it just a little bit and then right yeah change to something according else. to studies these phytochemicals they stimulate the immune system in small amounts uh they can be toxic to microorganisms uh in those quantities that they usually get exposed but in humans it's kind of a hormetic dose so yes. a huge amount might be problematic like if you take certain volatile oils from thyme or rosemary those are actually toxic to humans in large quantities mm. but in small amounts are actually stimulating our immune systems well if you think about spices you don't use like 100 grams of thyme <laughs> for a meal but it's just a little bit a pinch of that and and yeah. many of these terpenes um they're actually even that powerful that when you go to the forest many of the benefits of forest bathing come through just inhaling mm a very s- tiny amounts of of these terpenes from trees so, mm. so just think about how little there needs to be of those to get the cellular response for that few particles per yeah. million so yeah. so basically you're microdosing the forest yes. as you walk yes. there shinrin yoku in all your senses yeah i i've been microdosing vitamin d recently because it's so dark <laughs> <laughs> i don't get much uh, i would love to get a massive dose of it well vitamin d we get mostly from sun some of that also from food sources and on your cells you have the vitamin d receptor in your immune system cells in the intestine and bones and um, basically what is going on here is that your t-cells that you can also call them killer t-cells they attack potential pathogens but those guys are not doing anything if you don't have circulating vitamin d that attaches to vitamin d receptors and activates them so that's why it is very important to have circulating vitamin d and uh, in in large enough concentrations so mm-hmm. that your killer t-cells are able to respond to pathogens so even if your immune system detects them it doesn't mean that they're going to attack yeah indeed and here's actually if you think about this more closely so you what we usually measure is the calcidiol and uh, it, that's not actually ac- active in the cells but it's a cal- calcitriol that's uh, attached to the vdr the vitamin d receptor and you can actually measure the difference between the calcitriol and calcitriol and if if the calcitriol is super high it means that the receptors are not taking the vitamin d there uh, d there and uh, that might be an indication of a chronic infection actually and mm-hmm. an impaired immune system so uh, that's something that's been researched 
quite a bit in the last years and I also did that in my doctor's office and I measured actually both of those. So right. so if you have low yeah. level inflammation or a chronic disease, it can impair your immune system by basically occupying your vitamin D on somewhere else than where it's needed. Could be also that, but uh, the, the main thing here is that the vitamin D receptors are not working. But uh, we should not go too deep on yeah. this just to Certainly. make make um, notice that this is a highly important. And it's it's a hormone-like substance, uh, not not so much a vitamin. Yeah, I have here uh, liquid vitamin D three from Life Extension, two thousand IU per drop. And uh, I, I like to use vitamin D basically by taking a slightly larger dose occasionally instead of dosing it every day. Mm. So I might take like 10,000 or 20,000 IU once a week or twice a week. And uh, especially this time of the year, if I get sun exposure, I don't take vitamin D on those yeah. days. So and anyhow, you should measure your vitamin D3 levels just to make sure that you're not taking too much, but uh, the m- more common problem is that you don't have enough of it. So it's chronically low levels of vitamin D3. It's uh, kind of like a plague is maybe a strong word, but but it's definitely epidemic not having enough vitamin D3. So that's uh, that's the key component in the whole immune system. And I think everyone should start from there. Right. By the way, if you want to get some of our product recommendations, you can go to shop.biohackercenter.com. So shop.biohackercenter.com. And uh, that's where you get, you know, most of the most of the material uh, that we researched uh, for this webinar specifically. And also most effective products and uh, trustworthy and science-based and laboratory tested so they're like the supplement industry is is uh, wild west so we if you use supplements just make sure that you get the best of the best right so we can actually check here so at shop.biocrecenter.com you get all the product recommendations that we have on this show and um, yeah we ship internationally globally so um, those are some of the best products we found we're going to go through some of these now sure Well, let, let's uh, have like a hypothetical situation. If you get sick, what would you want to do? So we brought in here that you might want to make a dose with vitamin D3, like immediately. 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 <laughs> And so then, um, of course, it depends what your levels are, but mega dosing it for a short period of time, uh, time is not going to be toxic. So it's a, it's a fat-soluble vitamin. The toxic levels all only come if you're like putting it in yourself too much for a long period of time. So I would like have a good punch of vitamin D3 there. Yeah. And from there, um, especially with upper respiratory tract uh, infection and kind of symptoms. What is important here is that you measure your levels, uh, yes. that you know where you are. According to a 2014 study from University of Cambridge, Uh, the mortality rate was lowest when calcidiol levels were at least 19 uh, uh, nmol liter. And actually, actually, according to World Health Organization or World Hysteria Organization, um, taking vitamin D is one of the things that is extremely well supported by multiple meta-analyses for both prevention yeah. and also shortening the duration of the of the infection. Okay, let's go to the m- next one. Yeah, so um, about the values. So um, 
people in the US they use like I think it's nanograms per deciliter or some something like that. So you might it is advised to change and and compare the numbers there. But from there, uh, this is also Cochrane uh, based analysis so it's it's taken into account every possible study out there so zinc acetate or zinc picolinate uh, using used as a lozenge so that's uh those are like huge tablets that you slowly are melting under your tongue and it takes about 30 minutes for each of these tablets to get melted and you want to use this in the beginning five times per day to get uh, 75 milligrams and from there, depending on your symptoms, uh, reducing it a little bit. Yeah, picolinate, it's uh, not a good option, but I think the acetate, that's the best best research version of that. Uh, vitamin C, it's uh, I think it's uh, not so good uh, wrap. Uh, I, I think it's it's been diminished now, nothing, it, there's no point to use vitamin C. There is, especially if you contract the virus, Im immediately, again here, right. begin so, so megadosing it. So people yeah. take vitamin C as a precaution and they think that it's reducing their risk for contracting the disease? It is in athletes but it hasn't been shown to reduce people. the risk in normal people uh, but if you have chronically low vitamin d reservoirs for example in the adrenals and, and other tissues it is wise to use liposomal vitamin c just to get the levels into a good place so uh, for that uh, we have this one actually. yeah that's liposomal yeah. vitamin c this is absolutely the best of the best there is available, it's Quicksilver Scientific. There's also um, uh, R lipoic acid. So this is a kind of a hybrid combination to also reduce the oxidative stress in the body. So uh, this is something, if, you have a, if you're chronically sick and you know that you need more vitamin C and you want to upload your uh, uh, tissue vitamin, levels, uh, vitamin C levels up, then this is the right choice. Right, so... This particular one, you can just throw a few pumps into your mouth and you're good to go. But basically, vitamin C is is something that helps you when you get the infection. And many just of these things there. are linked to how the body fights infection, reduces reactive oxygen species, etc. Yeah, it, it sounds quite a bit to take a one gram every hour, but that's based on placebo-controlled randomized study, and it, it showed that it has a dramatic effect on on like putting a punch to the virus. And Show me again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it is it is working. And from the, it's just six hours you do that and then you take it like three times per day on uh, until you don't need it so so most of these things you should like um, do within 24 hours of contracting the disease yeah. to slow it down there is other tools that we're going to go into like medicinal mushrooms beta glucans sure. uh, zinc uh, selenium many other things uh, but these are kind of the top three things to do immediately Vitamin C has also shown to reduce the duration of mechanical ventilation in critically ill patients. So if you get coronavirus and you get hospitalized and you're in a critically ill situation, um, get some vitamin C, man. If, you, if, you're, if you're, you're in the ventilation machine, it's pretty hard to speak. But, <laughs> but, but uh, IB vitamin C, it's, uh, that was uh, even in the news in, in Finland. Uh, it's it's uh, interesting to see that these kind of old vitamins are popping up also in the news. So it's, uh, it is effective. I, I think we are going to be seeing more 
used for these these kind of treating methods. Yeah, vitamin vitamin C in this case was actually uh, st- uh, released in a meta-analysis 2020, very recent yeah. article, and Harry Hemila is from Finland. Yeah, Hemila has Thank been you, researching a lot of vitamins in, in, in like I think past almost 20 years, uh, yeah. at least based on the, the research I've seen from from him. So kudos. Good stuff coming from him. <laughs> now, another really interesting recent article that came out uh, was basically different nutraceuticals that have potential for boosting the type 1 interferon response, so basically your immune system response to RNA viruses. So the coronavirus is an RNA virus, and many zoonotic viruses that jump from animals to humans are not DNA viruses, but yep. RNA viruses. So here's a list of things from this article specifically for daily dosing to aid your immune system response to RNA viruses like influenza and coronavirus. So we mentioned ferulic acid, so corona beer. We also Rather, mentioned chocolate, um, which is a yeah. much better choice. Yeah. Uh, but this was this was interesting because it was listed in that uh, specific article. Um, but uh, raw chocolate, raw cocoa, absolutely the best source. Correct. Yeah. yeah, this vitamin C has also lipoic acid on it. So it's vitamin C with R-lipoic acid. Yeah. So R-lipoic acid is also listed here. And another thing is spirulina. What can we learn about spirulina? Yeah, Mr. Spirulina. Give us some spirulina, man. <laughs> Why spirulina? I think it's still, oh, after all of the years, one of my go-to green powders, even if it tastes pretty shitty. But when it's in tablet form, without any fillers, it's pretty easy to actually get quite a high amounts of it. I think mm-hmm. that's one of my go-to things while traveling. And it has a stupid amount of all the carotenoids and all the different types of phytochemicals in it. So it's yeah. a of a phyto multivitamin also mm. so a lot of different color mm. pigments and there's actually quite a bit of, of you know just essential nutrients also i also noticed recently an article about ebola how ebola can be slowed down with a dose of spirulina actually yeah. that that was a recent study as well and it's it's a cyanobacteria so it's a very ancient old organism so mm. in that sense it probably also has a few tricks in its sleeve. You're right right on the money. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it was cyanobacteria specifically, which is in spirulina, that basically we have this ancient bacteria helping us in our immune system response. Amazing stuff. Now we have here also um, uh, liposomal glutathione. Uh, N-acetylcysteine is actually um, uh, a building block for, I don't have the... Uh, the Rohtos Shield, but if you check shop.bikercenter.com, you can find the Rohtos Shield from no. there. Here no. is life extension version, N-acetylcysteine. Uh, the Rohtos formulation is a more comprehensive one with N-acetylcysteine plus a l- bunch of other things that uh, are supportive in the metabolism if of this specific nutrient in, in its detoxification. Uh, also pathways. works very well if you drink alcohol and you know you want to get rid of it fast. Get so. rid of hangovers and also if you <laughs> smoke tobacco it has shown to be useful. Now yeah. enastylcysteine itself is a building block for glutathione so it's a natural amino acid. As it's vitamin C. As is vitamin C so if you dose enastylcysteine and vitamin C you're basically helping your body to build glutathione. But you can get glutathione directly with a liposomal preparation as well. So here we go. Let's do mm. 
Double dose to the hips. Double dose to Double the hips. Double dose. Oh yeah. Now, um, glucosamine is actually something that in nature exists, for example, in ketin that is in medicinal mushrooms like uh, polypore mushrooms, as well as uh, things like shiitake, chaga, reishi. Insect cells are pretty much, or the, the shielding on also seafood in insects that's made of chitin. So I don't think that's very bioavailable source, but if yeah. you think about it, it's the structure is highly. Mm. I think they use uh, shellfish shells actually to yeah. extract glucosamine, which they use in supplement form. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, selenium, we're going to go into it. Zinc as well, we'll go into it. Sure. Uh, yeast beta glucans. So, nutritional yeast is a good thing that many vegan diets uh, like to use. And uh, but I, I have yeah. to say that glucan structures in yeast are pretty lousy compared to the mushrooms. So, it's exactly. a different, different type of, of glucan. So the bioavailability or just an effect is, is mm, much yeah. higher in these three to six glucans uh, yeah. are available in mushrooms. Here we have uh, chaga, infinis pakuri. This is the strongest pakuri or chaga solution uh, I, I've tasted ever. This is from Finnish chaga and Jaakko is behind formulating this specific product here. Have you actually collected this no. chagas? <laughs> but I think there's yeah. something to be said that uh, chaga that is grown in very harsh environment in mm. northern, northern Finland has kind of stronger immune system itself. And uh, again, I think in was 2013, I remember there was one study from Novosibirsk from northern parts of Russia or Siberia, where they collected some just 29 different samples of mushrooms around the area. And Chaga had the highest antiviral activity of mm. all of the mushrooms. And all of the mushrooms are pretty damn good sure. antiviral activity. Yeah. So it's especially the very dark part of, of Chaga that has this chromogenic complex that's super mm. antiviral. And I love the, these tinctures. For you, you can share here your comments if you have used Chaga and it's it's becoming more and more popular. And ja mm. I would say Jaako is Mr. Chaga because you have written a book about Chaga and it's yeah. perhaps coming into <laughs> the English language. You've been trying to pressurize uh, yeah, me I for have. the past, <laughs> I don't know how many years. But yeah, I, I think yeah. there's, a, there's a demand for yeah. Chaga book And I have English. to say, uh, when it comes to mushrooms, um, Paul Stamets has pretty interesting research on the idea of combining different strains of mushrooms. And he had these kind of uh, in vitro studies where he combined three different mushroom strains, which is not a stupid amount. And the shield activity index, which is kind of towards different viruses, uh, compared to ribavirin, which was pretty standard antiviral drug, the shield activity index was literally like a thousand X mm. compared to this mm. antiviral truck when you com combined several different mushroom strains. Yeah. So I wouldn't imply that to, you know, clinical use, but it says something that with um, combining these different glucan structures from, from medicinal mushrooms, there seems to be a synergistic effect. And even with 
combining vitamin C, it makes these glucans uh, absorb even better. So my understanding has always been that even mm -hmm. or with combining different mushrooms and combining that with vitamin C, you get kind of like a really nice uh, immune support. That, that is actually new knowledge to me. I've, I've uh, noticed from my own experiments and also learned from you from years back on that combining different kind of medicinal fungi and mushrooms is actually the way to do it. And that's what I've been doing the, the past few years. Also, I didn't know that if you add vitamin C there, it's even, even more potent, but it makes totally sense if yeah. you think about it. Yeah. I've, I've used um, many of these different medicine mushrooms as a blend uh, and every day maybe 10 different mushrooms also taking the alcohol extracts um, some things to mention here uh, for example shiitakes that you can buy usually from stores now reishi is another one uh, that i want to bring up so here we have probably the most badass reishi in the world. This reishi is not from China. This reishi nope. is from Finland. And it's wild. And this is wild reishi. So it's it's like, it's not lab grown and wild things need to protect themselves so that they produce more of those um, medicinal compounds. And uh, yeah, this product, uh, I have to say, might never come back again in stock because it's, it's such a re rare treat. So. The reishi thing here, you can also see from the color here, it's completely dark. So it has a lot of the mushroom solids. Mm. It, it tastes like mushrooms. And definitely in terms of beta-glucans, it's very effective. So when you take these things, the beta-glucans in your intestine stimulate your body to um, activate your macrophages. So macrophages are the guys who go and eat potential pa pathogens. They're and like pac they're like Pac-Mans basically going and taking them. And another source of beta-glucans in addition to medicinal mushrooms. So oats have a high number of beta-glucans. So if you eat oats, yeah. uh, you get beta-glucans There's well. a good comment in the chat uh, from uh, Mr. Nebula. Uh, he said he took 20 times uh, 1,500 milligrams of Four Sigmatic Chaga inside 24 hours when trying to catch a cold once. So the whole spectrum of symptoms uh, got sped up and I went through the entire cycle in 24 hours. So it kind of meant fast forward. So that's uh, interesting yeah, to hear. That's yeah. pretty amazing. Now talking about the gut specifically, you want to basically fix your gut lining. So if there is any damage that has happened on your gut lining, Good. Uh, what you definitely want to take is glutamine. And uh, I don't know, I think we have maybe somewhere here. Here, we have um, a capsules over there. Oh yeah, we have here. We have life extension glutamine, and that's also in the shop. So this is uh, this is the preferred version, super high quality. And if you don't want to mix any powders, uh, just take a few of these. And yeah. if you if you want a stronger effect, especially in the gut, you might want to take more, even five grams. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that with yeah. um, food poisoning, if I take like five six grams single dose after, I feel much better after two days. So it definitely helps fixing the gut lining. Yeah. L-glutamine is great. Another good source for fixing the gut is definitely uh, things like whey protein, actually. Could colostrum. Colostrum, colostrum even better because, um, well, colostrum has basically all the bioactive peptides that the baby needs 
because the baby's gut is actually leaky so it closes down within like let's say five days so the first milk of the mother contains a lot of bioactive peptides and proline rich polypeptides uh, of which lactoferrin is one and this has been one of my go-to's for my previous patients uh, especially if they have immunity problems but also like gastrointestinal problems so yeah so here we have a beautiful illustration uh, just a moment ago, ago about lactoferrin and uh, here is life extension lactoferrin capsules um, it's uh, the apolactoferrin form and uh, extremely good thing to take uh, if you want to boost your natural immune system responses and and uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would use it as uh, like not like all the time mm. but especially if you want to fortify your yeah. immune system and also fix the gut so uh, a few of those every year or if you have more problems then continuous use is also advised so so in times of epidemics you may want to dose on this for a month and, and see well, what well at least what what i've been doing uh i've been really like uh, dosing different kind of medicinal fungi and lactoferrin and glutamine just to make myself even more resilient to all the possible dangers outside there so i don't have to be afraid <laughs> and i can <laughs> go to uh, i'm not gonna go to china but for example to amsterdam now talking about uh, the gut microbiome that's another really important thing so if you make a comparison between the diversity of different gut bacteria in hunter-gatherers compared to industrialized people we have reduced diversity of the microbiome and reduced diversity of the microbiome has been linked to higher susceptibility of getting an infection a viral infection or bacterial infection so actually these guys work in collaboration with your immune system to protect itself and to feed your microbiome a diverse diet feeds a diverse mm. microbiome so uh, i can reflect on on the, like a doctor patient kind of a rela relationship point so i used to do like hundreds and hundreds of these uh, gastrointestinal gifx tests that you can actually see what's what's the microbial diversity in the gut and i would say about 90 percent had poor diversity and they had like numerous problems in, on, on their health so i think it's one of the key factors regarding like total health in the, in the system also in the immune system and i think it's just that the fact that those people hunter gatherers or farmers they are outside and if you want to learn about your immediate environment you need somebody who's good at navigating that system so of course the bacteria and the viral vectors that are happening in your environment if you expose yourself to the bacteria that are basically every day, all day, fighting towards those specific strains, you get a very specific intelligence inside of you when you get exposed to those, you know, soil organisms while, you know, turning the soil and picking mushrooms mm -hmm. and all that. So it's one of the most kind of um, easy to understand concepts also that you're picking the intelligence of your environment when you're actually exposing yourself to it. So, so they are not just some random uh, small organisms, but there are the organisms that are every day building resilience towards those vectors in your environment. And for me, this has been always very fascinating because when we see, let's say, um, a, a rise in 
Lyme's disease or something here in, in, mm. the, in the southern parts of Finland, you pretty much always see kind of um, the, the antidote for it popping up also in nature. For me, it's, it was very funny. Years back, I was going to give an interview or a lecture in Turku, and, and the interviewer asked me about Lyme's disease specifically because there was, were so many incidences that summer. And I was just reading another article that said that there is this this uh, foreign uh, plant that's going everywhere in in the Turku area c- called um, uh, Japanese knotweed, which mm-hmm. in herbalism is the herb towards Lyme's disease. Yeah. For so it's kind of funny for me that when when something Take gets me. out of whack <laughs> in a nature, there's almost Balance. like a balancing act mm. in there. So, so we can learn quite a bit by just yeah. injecting more of that intelligence in the form of bacteria and other mm. microorganisms. Intelligence in terms so of micro- uh, m- uh, microbes. Uh, I mean, we are run by alien life forms, basically. Yeah. We, our bodies are, uh, I mean, our cells are outnumbered by the different microorganisms living in our bodies. And you can call the human being as a holobiont. So we are basically... Uh, the top of the uh, food chain as a superorganism that is synthesizing all the different life forms that came before it and is working in unison with all of them. So the mitochondria in your cell is actually an ancient eukaryote, an ancient bacteria that has migrated in the center of your cell that produce a lot of the energy, ATP. Uh, <coughs> that basically, the reason why you're alive right now is because of that bacteria living inside your cells uh, in, in, in a way. So... Probiotics are the food for your bacteria, and research has shown, especially in older adults, uh, that it's a really good idea to get a really nice uh, a blend of uh, probiotics uh, to prevent infections um, and, and slow them down if you get an infection. Now, there's specific strains like Lactobacillus plantarum, Bifidobacterium lactis, and uh, Lactobacillus plantarum seems to be the, the one that has most of the evidence. Yeah, and that's why we chose also into our web store the uh, life extensions floor acid uh, assist winter immune so there are like yeah. I think there were almost uh, four different kind of uh, lactobacillus plantarum uh, strains that have been clinically validated and hence the name uh, winter immune so it's um, these probiotics are also getting more advanced and, and there's more research on that so um, if you s- feel that you need extra help and boost uh, so in, in times of, of like epidemics and, and especially in the cold season uploading <laughs> these kind of th- things with, with yourself or uh, rather downloading stuff to your system is, is uh, it's a helpful thing but uh, I think you mentioned um, kind of wrongly here it's uh, prebiotics that are the food for the yes, bacteria yes, sorry yes yeah. uh, sorry Just about mixing up prebiotics that. and probiotics yeah. thank you for Correcting on that and one. prebiotics are, for example, in, in different kind of berries and mushrooms and fungi. So we all, they all come together. Correct. In sense, yeah. In the flu guide, we go also through um, what actually intermittent fasting and the benefits of autophagy are for the immune system. I know Jaco has been doing it a lot. So you can, that could so be also a key factor why you're never sick. Yeah. And I think that's that's the old saying that the nature's healing command is basically don't eat, be quiet, 
and hide. Mm. So I think it's it's even funny that how many of these modalities have become kind of trendy, whether it was through sensory deprivation tanks or silent retreats or getting into the darkness and fasting, but just don't do anything. Mm. Oftentimes that's, yeah. that's the best thing that you can do. Don't do anything. But anyhow, we recommend that you check Sim's book, The Metabolic Art of Fashion, and Sim has been um, producing content also for the flu guide, um, so he's a contributor in, in here. Anyhow, please check Sim's stuff on YouTube, superb guy, a real prodigy on fasting and out of fashion. And there is also Yoshidori Ushumi. Why you would consider fasting? Well, <laughs> just to torture myself, no. Uh, we actually uh, went through this with, with Jaco, so, uh, but uh, as a reminder, it's kind of a cleaning process of the body, and it's a natural process, and uh, if you think about like animals and children, when they have, when they're sick, they usually don't want to eat, so uh, that's also a natural way of um, cleaning, clearing out pathogens, and just to help yourself clean the system and uh, like recycle the cells and repair damaged cells. So here is the picture I referred to. So there's bontos, which means that it's, it's uh, plenty of uh, stuff and energy there, and it's uh, another one starved. And there are, there are these autophagosomes that are actually kind of self-eating machinery, and which help them to clear out all the waste. So it, it's kind of like phagocytosis that's happening with the macrophages, but this is uh, self-eating system so it's kind of a pac-man eating itself we recommend if you're traveling to skip airplane food because uh, that is definitely not helping you to adjust to time zones which has also been one of the effects of fasting so if you eat at the destination in the morning uh, you will reset the supranucleus membrane that is linked to your biological clocks basically supranucleus geosmatic SCN. yes that's correct And um, another thing that we recommend you to do is different kind of fasting mimetics. So how you basically simulate the effects of fasting. Uh, there are dietary interventions for that, um, like putting your body into ketosis is, mm. is one of those. So you can keep on eating, but as long as you are con- uh, basically reducing your carbohydrate intake mm. and you're increasing your ketone production, you're also upregulating your immune system. If there is a lot of stuff that comes out, but uh, Sim is a master on on that. So ketosis really helps. And uh, the latest uh, research actually that ketosis helps to also destroy influenza. So that was uh, a mouse study and it helps these uh, uh, gamma theta uh, T T cells to actually destroy the virus. And ketones and the ketosis pathway activates the NRF2 <laughs> heart words, uh, which is also um, a regulatory mechanism on the related to autophagy. Right. Another thing that's linked to this is uh, NAD+. As you age, your NAD levels go down. NAD, which is um, produced in the in the Krebs cycle, is uh, is something that you want to upregulate through dietary means, especially as you age. It becomes increasingly important, and it has been linked. Uh, low levels of NAD has been linked to DNA damage, to telomere attrition, to epigenetic alterations, and mitochondrial dysfunction. Many, many things. Uh, basically, speeding up aging. And uh, all the different mechanisms through which you can maybe extend lifespans is also actually increasing your protection against pathogens and uh, reducing your risk of getting 
serious uh, complications yeah. from disease. And Simland has also tremendous videos on his YouTube channel about NAD and how you can increase that. Um, I would like to, there are, there are a few good questions. Uh, can one take vitamins and minerals when fasting? Minerals, definitely. Uh, vitamins, it's, uh, we don't necessarily know if, if they like uh, activate certain like metabolic pathways that might, might in, in, in the autophagic process. But um, we have in the, in the book, in the flu guide, I actually consulted you on the recipe, the autophagy activator. So there are like multiple herbs that actually promote autophagy. So water fasting is of course the best way to activate autophagy, but you can also boost it with different kind of herbs. So maybe Jakob want to share a few of these. What yeah, what and could I think work. It, that the the um, the jury is still out how like small amounts of caffeine and this and that and. I don't think anybody knows yet, like fully. Mm. And my point is that uh, probably not the biggest thing ever if you break it a little bit. Yeah. But if you really want to want to kind of get the cellular response, I'd say that many of the spices are are pretty much at the core of yeah. of boosting the effects of these cleanup mechanisms and of course then there are things like cold exposure is really good for Indeed. also same cellular mechanisms but but in general let's say that spices and of course from the spices you'd pick you know turmeric and ginger and you know black pepper and many mm. of these pretty widely available uh, master spices are are really good many of these yeah. things are linked to lowering your um, um, basically your um, exposure to oxidative stress, so reducing reactive oxygen species. And we mentioned earlier glutathione as one of those means, uh, glutathione and N-acetylcysteine as, as means of reducing oxidative stress, so giving your body the resources to, uh, to scavenge those um, uh, oxida uh, highly oxi uh, reactive oxygen species. And one of the things that is a key component in the production of glutathione is selenium. And selenium, we have here super selenium complex with vitamin E from uh, life extension. And you can also just take like two or three brazil nuts. It has enough selenium specifically. And there is many different sources of selenium in the plant kingdom, including broccoli and eggs that, uh, and also garlic, as well as onions are, are great sources for these minerals, as well as uh, organ meats and, and so on. But mm. selenium is very important once you see that you have a disease going on in your system. So if you're uh, deficient of selenium, body doesn't, it's, it's basically one of the rate limiting factors yeah. in the production of uh, glutathione. Yeah. And um, I can reflect on uh, from my doctor's office. And so I used to measure selenium quite a bit. And uh, the, the reference rate, it's, it's quite wide, but uh, people constantly had on the lower side and even, even below, below the normal range. So it might be wise to actually supplement yourself, if you're, especially if you're uh, getting a lot of uh, infections and, and you feel that there's a lot of uh, oxidative stress in your body, the selenium is one of the most important 
factors, and this is actually what I used also in my doctor's appointment. So this supercellium complex, it consists of uh, three different forms. So there's selenometal l selenocysteine, selenopure, and um, which is uh, the l selenometionine and sodium selenide. So all these forms have a kind of a little bit different function, so you get a good uh, mixture and combination of different forms of selenium. So this is this is uh, the go-to product in my opinion of course brazil lots uh, i usually eat them like <laughs> maybe three three per day and i think yaku does too so yeah, you don't have to eat them every day and yeah of course there's a problem of moldy moldy nuts so just you know if you can get a good good brazil nuts eat them handful here and there and you should be set up food in <laughs> For example, yeah. mm. talking about other sources of selenium and sulfur-containing compounds, we can look at garlic and onions. Garlic is a natural antibiotic and antimicrobial agent that kills viruses directly and strengthens the immune system in multiple different ways, according to the studies. Uh, and black garlic might be even stronger version. What um, what on earth is black garlic? It's basically fermented garlic, mm. and. If I think about this, it's actually funny. Uh, oftentimes when I go to remote destinations, it's kind of a mirror for myself. Like, what do I actually believe in? Like, what do I take <laughs> with me to some weird jungle trip? And definitely like garlic, garlic extracts. Yeah. They are the shit. Like, Keolic I, I definitely yeah. love those kinds of things when you want to, want to fight kind of have the general weapons against uh, certain things, but but definitely uh, fermented garlic and garlic has in raw form and all of these extracts are really high on my list when it comes to different herbs. So folk medicine in terms of using garlic against uh, yeah, vampires, vampires works. <laughs> 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 That's spiritual way. Uh, yeah. mm. But it's a really good antibiotic for many weird strains and, you know, things that True. certain medicines don't work so it's mm. a it's a cooler mm. another pretty good uh, antibiotic is uh, oil of oregano very strong one uh, you can totally overdose that so poison is in the dose and it's usually a few drops categorically if you have oregano oil it's uh, 10 drops but always make sure that you don't take too much by <laughs> I've exper- <laughs> experienced a bit too much oregano oil. It's actually burning, yeah. burning inside, but it's, it's very strong. Also, uh, it might uh, destroy good bacteria in the gut, so you don't want to overdo that too much. So it's um, always yeah. kind of a silver lining in there. So it's, it's a, the, the dose is very critical. Correct. And uh, there is a question from Macho. Would you be able to draft a monthly budget on how much it would cost to take all those supplements? Sounds like a lot. Now, the thing here is that what we are listing here are things and measures that you want to take when there is an epidemic. Things that you want to take if you contract an infection. Now, I don't recommend people to take oregano oil and garlic every single day. No. Um, you actually want to have a little break of, uh, you know, boosting your immune system in different ways. So, uh, and most of the natural yeah. stuff is free anyway, like exercise and cold exposure and sauna and yeah. sunlight. Those and are like the first yeah. line of defense. But if you think about these supplements, you can think that, okay, let's take one one bottle of, of these and, and kind of like a, have a good 
good punch for the immune system that it's it's uh, upregulating uh, systems there. Of course, if you have chronic problems, uh, you might want to go with different stuff. So there are different kind of levels that we go through the the guide, right. and and. Uh, there are like the first line aid and it, it's uh, different if you take like vitamin D and, or like a liposomal yeah. glutathione. Mm-hmm. So for example, I don't take liposomal glutathione because I know I have a high glutathione levels because I've measured them, but many don't have. And then this for that, it's the best form period right. to actually increase your level. There so. Navrit Josen is asking if it's okay to take an ice bath when one has a cold. Now, the studies that I read about cold and heat exposure is that most of the benefits come before you get the cold. If you do mm. that when your immune system is already weak, um, I mean, it's it's not going to help that much. No, and the rationale would be that you want to actually have a fever. So don't go the cold, go to sauna, rather. Of mm. course, you don't want to go like too, too overboard in there, but actually... A kind of mild sauna exposure is, is so, a good So thing. if you've been fighting an infection for a couple of weeks and you haven't had fever yet, maybe you yeah, know, a little totally. sauna might be a good idea. Because it raises the core temperature. It's kind of a, like yeah. a fever-like effect. Don't, don't do this if you, are pne- if you have pneumonia because uh, yeah. potential risk. Or chronic right. disease or chronic medications. So yeah, yeah well. just a disclaimer. Disclaimer: We are we are not doctors. Uh, well, we have one. You, here, you are not. And, and <laughs> but, uh, back yeah. to the point on the <laughs> supplements. Even though if I've had all of this stuff on my shelf, I wouldn't take all of them. Mm. Like, there, these are just options, and yes. you can do the whole stack if you're a type type of person. But point being that even if you do a few of these, it's a indeed great very bad. good point. Yeah. Let's look at some free options. So raw honey. Um, Good old folk medicine, according to studies, actually is pretty good for as a cough, 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 cough medicine, as a cough medicine, couch medicine. <laughs> not couch medicine. Well, you can use as a couch, couch medicine. Just ingest some uh, you, you fall asleep taking all the t- carbohydrates in, but it has antimicrobial <laughs> peptides, so don't heat it up uh, if mm. you want to have those benefits. And it has shown to be useful. Uh, yeah, in my, times my of daughter, uh, she wants this specific honey from Mohiarvi. She doesn't want any other honey. We have tried like different kind of no i want that with the with the house in that and it's, it's specific wild honey from mohiarvi so she takes uh, one or two teaspoons every day and she's super healthy but uh, caveat here is uh, not for under one year old because of, of an increased risk of botulism i think that right. an old thing but uh, just mm-hmm. to make sure but honey one of the best uh, no, we have probably a lot of, uh, I mean, you, you have some. I would just it. add yeah. that if you can get your hands into uh, propolis, which is even kind of a yes. from the bee products, the thing that the bees produce to um, basically uh, basically make a shield around their house. It's propolis, mm. which means Pro. kind of, you know, uh, against against their their city. So... That's their way of producing antiviral, antimicrobial um, paste. Mm. So that's definitely, oftentimes in a spray form, what I use if I Same. have any type of, uh, you know, uh, yeah. respiratory system. Um, Especially sore throat, yeah. like uh, alcohol, yeah. kind of tincture of propolis. That's and like then <coughs> a little bit of honey to moisten your 
sure. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, one question probably in the mind of several people in the audience who are doing the ketogenic diet or intermittent fasting is that, um, you know, should you limit yourself from carbohydrates is one question. And another one is, should you fast when you're feeling that you're getting sick or when you're sick? So what's your opinion, Oli? Depends. Uh, we know that uh, for normal like viruses, ketosis doesn't have that much effect although it prevented influenza in mice but uh, for bacterial infections it's actually really helpful because of the metabolism and there's not that much glucose available from food but uh, i wouldn't make like drastic changes just to get rid of of, of the disease but this is more like a overall life th- lifestyle and diet changes so there's no like miracle cure that if you get a disease and suddenly you go to like um, different kind of diet it might actually get it worse if especially if you are used to having a lot of carbohydrates and you suddenly go into ketogenic state it creates a lot of electrical uh, imbalances and so on but um, all the things that we have discussed here have more effect on that right um i i did check some studies that show that um, the reason why people don't feel like eating when they're sick, uh, there might be actually a physiological reason yeah. why that is a really good idea that you're not clogging your system with food and you give yeah. the system time to actually fight the it pathogens is, yeah. and not things that are in the bloodstream. That's also what I mentioned like earlier you know, with children, they don't want to eat yeah. uh, animals. They don't usually want to eat. So it's a kind of a natural tendency. So listen to your body. Now, um, another Almost free, I mean, at least cheap, uh, instead of supplements, is to use different things that boost your nitric oxide production. So NO boosters. You can have uh, supplements like L-arginine or L-citrulline, but you can also get those from beets and dark leafy greens like rucola or or, or kale. And, and certain nuts like almonds are, are actually pretty good also. Those may inhibit viral replication cycles, for example, and the SARS coronavirus has been, has been noted in some of those studies. Now, yeah. nitric oxide is pretty important for, for what reason? Dilates the blood vessels and mm-hmm. keeps them basically open. So that's uh, no, I remember from medical school, there's like no news is news <laughs> right that was, that was uh, when when the nitric oxide was a uh, like a yeah. hot thing back in there so, so things that improve oxygen intake are also beneficial for yeah. fighting infections blood flow and it's it's all about energy and getting the right stuff to the right place now we're getting to the territory of uh, yako for sure i mean you are you're producing all these weird um, like cocktails uh, with all kinds of bitter herbs. So here we have licorice and we have ginseng roots and we mentioned medicinal mushrooms. Now, there are studies that show that they are potent inhibitors of viruses like influenza and um, uh, stimulants to the, to the immune system as well. So what is your kind of favorite go-to recipe in winter time, for example, and why? Yeah, I think it, it boils down to what's pragmatic, what's convenient. So for me, for years, it's been this brew of different things on my stove. And it's, you know, chaga, ginger, licorice, licorice, cinnamon goes there every now and then. I like to play a lot with spices because, again, that's pragmatic because, you know, 
I've shown people, you know, slides of Jinjing root and then, you know, you ask actually like how many of you have ever taken any type of Jinjing supplement and there's like one hand. So mm. it's again that it's not what we should do, but what people will actually do. And for many pragmatic reasons, I think that when it's not about supplements that are just that you can, you know, easily take them. When it comes to whole plants and whole herbs, then it boils down to like, what's your user interface? And I think that the medicinal mushroom revolution, so to say, is is widely spread on the thesis that it's pretty easy for you to boil this liquid brew and use that as a base for mm. your chocolate drink or make that bone broth using that as a base or just use it pretty easily. So for the past decade now, it's been pretty much chaga tea paste with different, you know, spices and herbs around it, just because I can do that every day. Uh, we have in the book, we have a few uh, recipes that people may want to take a look at. There is the brilliant broth bomb, which is basically based on bone broth. Uh, if you're a vegan, you can also use a vegetable broth um, in, in this and uh, basically we have here, we have all these uh, things like turmeric, uh, dried medicinal herbs like thyme and rosemary and cloves and oregano, and also um, beetroots uh, that we mentioned earlier, as well as uh, some black garlic gloves. So combining some of these things and maybe throwing in and emptying a capsule of L-glutamine in the brew, you have pretty good brew uh, brewing uh, to um, you know, confiscate all those viruses in your system. Now, yeah. looking at uh, the autophagy activator, this is something that supports autophagy. So you're you're basically stimulating the different pathways that are related to autophagy, uh, like AMPK, uh, with medicinal herbs, once again. So we also have spirulina in, in yeah. this recipe. <coughs> this is um, seems... Uh, recipe and he actually does this and uh, he advised me that you, you take just uh, one teaspoon daily and uh, you can actually use it when fasting and everybody asks does it does this uh, interrupt the fast it's it's not like either or it's a different kind of decrease and and um, you shouldn't think so black and white so adding these to your regime is, is uh and i think helpful. it boils down to to the amount of protein. When you get it amino does. acids, yeah. you basically activate the mTOR and all yeah. the building mechanisms. And these are not very high no. amino acids. And specifically, it's uh, not just about any amino acid, but about leucine. Yes. Leucine uh, has also an insulin response. So if you if you just reduce the leucine content and put it in the zero, it's uh, not having really that much effect. So you can use, for example, collagen. And what I have here, this is what I did in the morning, and I still have some uh, fatty coffee with some collagen, but I, I microdose it throughout the day, and I know this is not, not having any significant effect on, on the autophagy. Right. Mm. So you can also use a beverage like coffee as a carrier for medicinal mushrooms and several yeah. different herbs. Studies have also shown that uh, all these dark berries are beneficial, 
and elderberry uh, extract specifically has been studied to relieve the symptoms on average four days earlier than without taking that is selian maria selian maria correct now a few lifestyle interventions that we highly recommend you to do is to quit smoking if you do quit, uh, smoke if you smoke cannabis, uh, maybe stop burning it and use other methods. But anyway, the coronavirus is used as two receptors, specifically the the novel coronavirus. And uh, there is a lot of studies that came out. There is also a recent uh, article on Nature magazine that verifies the ACE2 receptor. And ACE2 receptor expression is increased if you smoke. ACE2 receptor expression is also increased, perhaps potentially in Asian populations and people who are so-called Denisovan heritage of uh, Aboriginal man. We here mm. as Europeans, we are actually Neanderthal. Neanderthal humans. We're not Denisovans, but Denisovans seem to have higher ACE2 expression. People like that might be actually pretty good at high altitude to get better oxygen it could be that when you smoke cigarettes your lungs are kind of upregulating the things to get the oxygen into the mm. system so you also get other things more readily to the system like viruses uh, smoking increase the risk for coronavirus now other thing that increase your risk for especially for um, complications is environmental pollution especially cadmium has shown to disrupt mitochondrial function and potentiate pulmonary inflammation in animal studies probably also humans so you might wonder why the death rate is so high in all those polluted cities right now in china but outside of china very little death rate so far but i mean this will play out and we'll see but now is a good reason to move to the countryside or to Finland. Mm. We welcome everyone to Finland. We have Barker Summit 16 and 17 of October. You're welcome to Finland and see the fresh air, taste, you know, the dark winter blues uh, and all that. But in the end, uh, it's going to make you resilient and more ready to live a long life. Stop consuming alcohol. I'm good. Uh, I'm not the best person to say that right now, but... Or perhaps uh, microdose alcohol. I'm microdosing corona in the form extra. of tinctures because there is alcohol yeah. in there. Tinctures so. are a good way to yeah. microdose alcohol, uh, but it has shown actually in some studies to work as a kind of a immune system stimulant in small amounts, and maybe folk medicine of using gin and Jägermeister and so on. Like uh, there is some cognac, cognac, yeah, yeah, the different different effects, but it's always the dose, like a grandmoms. Daily dose of small dose of cognac might be actually a good good thing. Yeah, so now there has been probably twenty questions about Tylenol, paracetamol, um, NSAIDs, acetaminophen, etc. So, yeah. Oli, what is your take on it? What doesn't work based on studies? Yeah, so that's what we went through in in the flu guide also. So uh, we talked about fever earlier here. So if you think logically that you suppress the fever all the time, it's actually making your system harder to get rid of the virus or, or the pathogen. And that's also been like researched. And uh, paracetamol has been shown to increase the duration of colds because it is, uh, reduces natural antibody response. Uh, and they say this, of course, they diminish pain and they're kind of symptomatic treatments, but they may impair the normal immune system function and especially people with uh, pneumonia shouldn't 
use any NSIDs. So these are not really helping you to recover from there. But of course, I understand that if you if you're in a lot of pain, it it's uh, it's also uh, diminishing the stress and it's uh, psychologically relieving. But it's it's not a cure for anything. Right. So when you get something like influenza and you feel uh, pain in your muscles and bones around your body, uh, those are actually your immune system. Uh, um, Uh, cells doing their work so interference are linked to feeling you know the arcus and pains yeah. in your body and that's actually a it's an effect you want mm. also sometimes like sneezing and so on is a, is a physical kind of uh, mechanical way through which the body yeah, is extracting for sure Cough, uh, uh, cough medicines. <laughs> 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 I, I go to the couch right away. So, so that is actually a good response to get rid of the pathogen. Also, f- high, f- higher fever is getting rid of it. So, if you dampen any of these reactions, like sneezing or or coughing or uh, or uh, fever or Um, Acus around your body, you're actually dampening your immune system response mm. to the pathogen. So that's why the duration of the cold might be increased. You feel a little bit better, but it's not. It's an illusion, actually. Yeah. So I, I, I couldn't here share my favorite kind of uh, rinsing method. It's it's not this normal. Uh, what, what's in Eng- English? Nettipod. Yeah, but it's it's a uh, it's it's actually a strong jet from Physiomere which has which has this um, like in the words, but it has like a seawater which is uh, isotonic, and it comes from like a super hard pressure, and it's designed to really like rinse the whole system. So if you keep it doing and and you have chronic like sinusitis problems, you may actually prevent them, at, like from happening so keep you keeping your sinuses clean with this uh, isotonic mm. water uh, it's a strong jet physiomere right. once uh, once good. when as a preparation yeah. amazingly good and and also helping your body to extract pathogens like nose cans from you know good yoga practices might be also useful so yeah um, but they're not yeah. creating the pressure you want there i, I play, play with this also quite a bit but this is by far the most uh advanced and, and effective way of really cleansing the sinuses let's look at technology yeah. and technological tools so one thing we mentioned earlier was ultraviolet light for killing pathogens um Now we can move to red light, infrared, red light, and blue light, and those have shown, according to studies, uh, to be extremely helpful for uh, eradicating um, uh, pathogens, uh, slowing down the proliferation of uh, vir- viruses uh, in your cells, as well as help your cells actually to ramp up the defense mechanisms. Yeah, and uh, w- one of the key things here is to reduce uh, formation of, of these like free radicals and, and reducing the oxidative stress and also improving like overall energy production. So if your immune system cells do not have enough energy, they're not going functioning that well. So I've been using like personally red light, infrared light therapy for for many years and uh, I like <laughs> I've kind of gravitated towards that if I feel something in the respiratory area I get like a five minute dose of red light and infrared light so and it feels 
really good and this is some something I've uh, also had uh, reported by many people so um, the easiest way is to use this uh, biohackers red light panel which we also have at home yeah. we also have the um, uh, the VLite intranasal device. It's yeah. not here right now, but uh, it's on the store. At yeah, you can use uh, 650 nanometers, uh, the VLite intranasal light. So there's uh, in the guide also researched that intra <laughs> intranasal, it goes into the whole system, systematic circulation. And it's kind of putting like laser light intravenously. And it certainly has an effect on the immune system. Right. So one thing that I noticed when I got like some flu symptoms that went away once I did all these supplements here was that the pain associated with it um, that started coming on like completely disappeared with red light. And uh, I'll just turn this device on now. Um, so so this is the this is the red light specifically. Well, that's that's Morning. really uh, waking me up here. This area is infected. <laughs> I, I really need these glasses now, so let's, let's put on some glasses. So look cool, man. So this one is actually now the infrared light. It's as strong as the red light you just saw, but you can see it because it's uh, outside of um, the visible range of light. Now, if I turn the red light on as well. Uh, you can see see that, and maybe 10, 15 minutes um, max at, at five to ten minutes yeah. distance. That's how you get the ten minute distance. That's, that's ideal dose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, distance about ten centimeters, and uh, why it's uh, wiser to have both red light and infrared lights is the penetration. Uh, depth to the tissue, so the infrared goes a bit deeper, and and the red light it's it's more more superficial so um yeah so so here you see the the red light panel um it has 810 nanometer uh near infrared lights as well as 850 850 yeah. and the um, 660 red light. 660 is the red light and you have controls for it um it's pretty easy also to travel with uh it's a it's a huge huge unit it uh, weighs four kilos you can actually also put it in, in the ceiling if you want to have. That's how, how we usually have in our office. So it's kind of a, like a recovery yeah. station. Just when I arrived here, I was thinking about like, well, damn, I get to get to have that. You get. Yeah. yeah. Just, the, you know, 15 minutes on that. It's recharges. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, VLite uh, is an intranasal device that you stick up your nostrils, and that can actually uh, certainly help um, also reduce viral replication on the cell membranes. Uh, there is no direct studies on this, I have to mention, but actually, uh, indirectly looking at the studies uh, in petri dishes, like how it uh, slows down replication of viruses probably it also works yeah, there are actually a few studies on on the international administration of the light that i actually dig so it's in in the flu guide you can is that for viral infections it was just overall Im immune function but right. but um yeah most of the research is pre preliminary but uh the thing is here that it doesn't cause any side effects so that's also yeah 
There, there is like more, more than 4,000 uh, studies uh, right now on PubMed on photobiomodulation. Yeah. And uh, it's a form of life medicine that works and it's clinically used here in Finland for speeding up wound healing uh, in diabetic patients. For example, yeah. yeah. Another thing uh, in terms of technology that I would look at is filtering water, especially if you live in locations where the, the water might not be of high quality. Uh, so we have echo filter here. Uh, another thing that we want to mention is the is the overring. So let's take this thing off. So uh, I have the overring here, and what I've noticed is that if you're getting, let's say, a food poisoning or a bacterial infection, you see that your nightly heart rate variability goes to zero uh, often already before you get like any serious symptoms. So you may want to track changes in uh, resting heart rate throughout the night. So if that goes up 15, 20 points or, or beats, or if you see heart rate variability dropping, flooring basically, there might be something specifically going on. About heart rate variability, you can totally see a trend, like a lower trend on there. It doesn't necessarily go to zero, but it's more like a flat line. So, uh, yeah, elevated heart rate, resting heart rate, um, stuff like that. Of course, you can have a, like a, a CRP measurement. If it's uh, clearly over 30, uh, you might want to go to the doctor. Tracking your aura ring is good for optimizing your sleep. And in addition, uh, also to detect potential infection before you get symptoms. And that's when you want to start yeah. dosing vitamin D3, uh, vitamin C, as well as zinc, maybe selenium, uh, beta-glucans, medicinal mushrooms, because the window is very in, in the very beginning of the infection. Yeah. So it's it's good to detect that before you get serious symptoms. Also from all right, what you don't get from other uh, measurement devices is the temperature. So you might see a little bit of change, maybe elevated body temperature and actually giving you signals that it's elevated. And you can clearly see there if you have a, like a fever spike. I've had a couple of times, uh, like maybe two times these past three years I've, I've uh, used the aura ring. One was uh, like a norovirus infection, which was like horrible, but I had a, like a fever spike, two and a half degrees, and it like mm. completely destroyed the virus and got rid of it. But you can see from there, and uh, females can see from there, uh, like ovulation phase and also uh, approaching menstruation. Another thing I think is important in terms of the data is that if you've been sick, like I got food poisoning in India and uh, it was away in 24 hours, but you can see when your system is fully recovered. Yeah. So you can actually see, you feel pretty fine, but it can be a week after an uh, incident like this when your system is still fighting something and it's a week. True. Melatonin is something that people take for sleep optimization. Uh, and melatonin has shown to be good for helping T helper cells in their production, particularly the CD4 plus cells. I wouldn't advise taking melatonin every single night if you get a full night's sleep. And the reason is that it also impairs uh, glucose metabolism uh, and insulin release specifically in the morning. So in certain population, about 30%. Yes. Doesn't do it for everybody. And if you microdose melatonin, let's say like, 0.1 milligrams, uh, it's, it's a go even if you use it like all the time. So uh, 
it could be actually a good tool for improving your immune system, like microdosing melatonin. Yeah. People um, macrodose on melatonin, and even in uh, those people who have less of uh, melatonin uh, receptors uh, in in the pancreatic cells, uh, they can also get this glucose response by yeah. taking too much melatonin. Sure. So what we're talking about in terms of differences in population is the people who have higher susceptibility of having melatonin receptors in in the pancreas and those are highly sensitive to pretty regular doses of melatonin like one milligram even might be actually 10 yeah. times too much yeah. so check your genetics if you are <coughs> interested in optimizing your melatonin intake now a lot of people are traveling as we speak and uh, we would highly recommend you to actually avoid queues in the airport actually the highest likelihood of contracting a disease is not on the airplane but it's actually while you're waiting to get inside one and um, so airports and different ports are harboring all kinds of pathogens i would you know avoid the stress and the queues by different measures of getting frequent flyer status uh, avoid checking bags handling and dealing with those things and, and just pack what you really need uh, you can also choose the airport and airline accordingly and avoid Friday afternoons. Now, when you get to the airplane, um, I think for flight, zinc acetate is a really good preventive measure because it um, it inhibits uh, viral replication on, on your mucous membranes. And so it's, it's actually good. Uh, I can actually show you this. So it's uh, this size of a tablet. So it get it's about thirty minutes. So you, once you wait to your, to your, uh, uh, <laughs> that to go to the airplane, you can just you know chew on this, and it's uh, it's kind of a protection for for yourself or your immune system. So yeah, I grab a few of these. Correct. Once <laughs> once you're on the airport, wash your hands immediately after security. The most unhygienic thing is the tray that where you put all your stuff, and those have. Uh, multiple times more pathogens than the toilets, for yeah. example, at the airport. Yeah. So you, you don't want to touch your face after going through the security. Uh, that's that's Wash one your hands measure. immediately. Immediately. Yeah. immediately. Uh, when you're on an airplane specifically, drink more water from your own bottle. So that's a recommendation because dehydration, which is... Uh, particularly typical in airplanes, it is faster than on ground, and the moisture in your nasal hairs helps you to filter out pathogens. There is also technologies like the humidifier that uses your own breathing to increase the humidity that you get. When you are in the airplane, avoid ISOL seats. That's where people put most of their hands all the time. What if you have a long leg? I usually always sit in the air. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, uh, uh, maybe, maybe an exit row is a good idea. Should I wear uh, a mask? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the mask topic in a moment, but specifically uh, avoid being close to uh, uh, lavatories and toilets and maybe go for business class. There's less people in there. The highest vector of transmitting the disease is actually the uh, flight personnel as well as um, the people let's, immediately, let's the flight personnel. immediately next to you or in front of you. Now, if you look at the toilet specifically, around 50% of the whole people on the plane, they go to the toilet. And 9% go twice and 3% go even more often. 
if you use the toilet, avoid touching any surfaces and wash your hands, use the paper, towels. Mm. I'm, I'm pretty amazed about the stats because uh, I go to the toilet like all the time and I, I feel like the the air pressure and all, all the things that actually make me urine more. So, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of a, like a trade-off. I, I think the most wisest thing to do is just avoiding touching like this these parts that potentially have pathogens. Yeah. But, uh, and it can yeah. be that actually your seat is more problematic than the toilet itself in terms mm. of hygiene. Yeah. So if you look at the seat buckle, that is a part that everyone touches. They need to touch it. So you may want to disinfect one of those things. So, you know, I don't use much of these uh, alcohol wipes, but uh, using something like this on the different buttons that you're going to be pressing on the screen, uh, on the buckle itself, and especially your mm -hmm. phone. So a lot of people, when they go to the toilet, they wash their hands but they don't really wash their phone. So the phone becomes a vector of transmitting diseases. So using the wipe on uh, your phone is, uh, is a really, really good idea, specifically. And also, if you get really hardcore paranoid, uh, you may want to also disinfect your seat. And one of the most um, you know, problematic parts of your seat is actually the tray in which you have all the food. And, and here is a cool technology, uh, airplane pockets. So this is a pocket that covers the tray and uh, you can eat food from the tray after this, just fine. And one part that I would avoid is actually, you know, putting any food inside the pocket or reading any of those magazines in there. Uh, those can harbor all kinds of pathogens. Uh, there's studies that show that those are some of the highly microbially active parts of your seat. Now, if you are super paranoid, you may want to also cover your whole seat. But getting too crazy about this is not, not really that important. If no. you are afraid of the air inside the airplane. Now, airplanes were, I mean, the air quality was a big problem when people were smoking on airplanes. And they, they really improved the circulation, air circulation in, mm -hmm. in modern air, airplanes. And most of the air goes out from the sides, uh, right next uh, to the windows and comes through from the air conditioning above you. Now, some people, they turn off the air conditioning because they are afraid that it's, it's now um, blowing all the viruses on your face. But actually that air is clean, uh, going through multiple HEPA filtrations per minute and uh, it kind of creates a bubble once again around you when you when you f when you face or, or uh, direct the airflow to your face yeah, or living on a bubble i totally i have this thing also that <laughs> creates the bubble in the airplane and the bubble from uh, the above this was actually yeah. news to me because i think many people actually think that their quality in airplanes is, is bad and, and you should avoid using this but actually you want to them so it's uh, interesting facts yeah uh, what are your, your like travel hacks when you're on an airplane uh, do you like leak all the surfaces just to get <laughs> as much bacterial <laughs> correct <laughs> exposure yeah I, d I don't do anything that fancy i just you know probably just you know noise cancelling headphones and fasting and mm. that's about it you do and I, I, batches yeah and I, d I actually almost like drive fast it's weird over the years I've come into the conclusion that I don't kind of overhydrate when flying, even mm. though it's probably good, but there's something for me personally. I don't 
do that much liquids when mm. flying. Right. There's something into it. Mm. Now, now, looking at uh, air, air filtration technologies, now the device that I showed in the beginning of the show, this device is called AO uh, Facewear. It's, it's one of the most advanced technologies on the market. So these turbines are actually uh, how some nano technology that basically filters out bacteria and viruses and microparticles that get into your airways. And um, uh, I can turn this thing also also on. It works. Here we go. Right, that's cool lights. Yeah, so you have lights that basically signal to the surrounding how the air quality is. And you just put this in your face and you're good to go. I sometimes use this on airplanes and no one looks at me. You know, they, they think... They, they avoid icons. Well, why is there like different lights? I mean, those lights are signaling the, the air quality in the surroundings. So ah, there are okay. sensors. Yeah, and, cool. and this is the prototype version. They are mm. coming out with an updated version of this soon. We will be sending out information yeah. when, when the pre-order is available on this one. Uh, Super. As well as we will be carrying some photocatalysis devices soon also on our store. But yeah, you can do a lot of nice yeah. things with personal protection here. Uh, one personal protection that I would definitely bring to a workplace is is different um, essential oils that have shown to kill pathogens in the air. Now I have some here, for example. Let's see. Okay. So so put some water in here. Uh, not etheric, <laughs> but essential oils. So we have some thyme here, some rosemary, Good one, et ethereal yeah. oils. And um, those are antibacterial, antiviral properties on airborne uh, viruses oils. and uh, bacteria. So this is something that you want to have on your home uh, uh, if you have a sick person as well as at the workplace if someone is sneezing. So some protection here. It's not just, you know, uh, some woo-woo, new age, um, mm. you know, hippie yoga stuff to use essential oils, but it's actually something that's beneficial for protecting well, yourself. One thing you could do is if you have a, like an air humidifier in the, in the ba uh, bedroom to keep keep it moisture, you can add like a few drops, let's say lavender, which is like really calming down, but also some some other like time if you if you feel that you need some extra extra help while you're sleeping, so. If you get super uh, paranoid about contracting a virus, maybe you're treating a relative who is sick or something, you know, the viruses also get through your eyes into your system. So covering your face is not necessarily enough, but also covering your eyes uh, is a good idea. Now, if you put a gas mask and go on an airplane, you're pretty sure to be caught as a terrorist. So we don't recommend doing any of that. Um, and I, I've seen, you know, people using... Uh, uh, swimming goggles on airports and it's 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 a bit funny you know uh what is the real risk here but this lady here is actually doing uh it the right way she's avoiding mm -hmm. the crowd so she probably doesn't need the she, goggles she's being informed that this is yeah. a, was actually from our trip to amsterdam yeah <laughs> from the plane so yeah that was pretty secret cool. photos that was pretty <laughs> cool yeah swimming goggles uh actually these kind of goggles originally have been developed for people who have pretty dry eyes in airplanes so to increase increase humidity but uh, if you're really paranoid maybe you want to use that now about face masks um face masks uh are most useful if you give the mask to someone who is actually sick so 
on yourself, you know, there is less of opportunity. But if you want to avoid that person uh, contaminating everyone else, like give the mask to that person instead of on yourself. Yeah. So, so that's that's high recommendation. Now, in terms of the filtration technologies specifically, um, this mask here is uh, uh, the certification is FFP3. FFP3 is basically 99% filtration, uh, so it's also called N99. There is also FFP2, which is uh, basically the so-called N95 masks. Now the problem with N95 masks, which are all over media that people you know want to buy and get their hands on, is that coronavirus goes through N95 masks. So, um, but if you use one of these devices, go for an N99. And uh, one recommendation of using these things is that when you breathe, you know, all the air comes to this device. So if there is a virus, it's going to be on the mask. So you don't want to touch the mask here to take it off, but, you know, use from the sides uh, and wash your hands before it touches your face after taking the mask off because, uh, you know, uh, these things can be problematic. Mm, th there's a question if... Uh are regular face masks that are not N95 of any use? Uh, I mean, it's it's better than nothing, um, especially for someone who is sick. But in they're, the end, yeah, like they're it, really not stopping any viruses. No, I think the that. best way to stop a virus really is uh, all the precautions you can do in terms of health. Uh, yeah. Uh, beforehand, as well as boosting your immune system with different things if you contract it. But in the end, like uh, these things, they lurk in, you know, in wondrous ways. But uh, definitely washing your hands, not touching your face, uh, avoid, you know, touching things on public places like door knobs and uh, uh, elevator buttons and so on. In times of epidemic, outside of an epidemic, you should do it uh, definitely to expose yourself to as much bacteria as possible. Yeah, so here's a, uh, that's kind of a list from what you should do. We have uh, gone through these, these quite a bit. Uh, so just avoid touching places that are likely to be touched by many people and likely vectors of, of uh, viruses in, in, in particular. But we can go, uh, you can go uh, through this in, in the flu guide. Um, always use contactless payment if possible. Uh, avoid like this basic fiat <laughs> money coins. Uh, yeah. Apple Pay. Yeah. yeah, wash with soap. That's more effective than disinfectants. And definitely avoid dryers because they will spread all the germs out there. And it, it's kind of a, like a massive place for getting getting uh, stuff there. So uh, what we really do recommend is that you, you know, take all the precautions you can. Uh, when there is an epidemic, but don't get too crazy about, you know, disinfecting all surfaces and using gloves and uh, face masks and all that for too long periods of time, because you actually need exposure to bacteria and viruses. You don't want to end up like Michael Jackson in a, in a, in, in some kind of air capsule. I, I have a funny story. I yeah. think they, in, in, uh, in Asia where they grow a lot of mushrooms, they have a limit of like, two to four hours that you can spend on those labs because they are completely sterile mm. and you know that's so unhealthy that's just yeah. a few hours a day and and you need to get exposed 
So uh, about self-quantification, signs of disease, uh, we actually went through these for a bit um, about laboratory tests. So uh, if you think that you may have an infection, taking like the the CRP test is is uh, one way to get get to really understand it. Of course, some additional lab tests that can be done in virtually ev every lab is possible nowadays without even even like. Uh, uh, prescription or whatnot from the from the doctor mm. so you can actually find out yourself also and this is also the point that the uh, this guy called Mikko brought out that if we because of fear start like uh, really going to the doctor like all the time and to the ERs uh, so that the system won't handle that so be prepared yourself and if you want to measure something you can do it actually yourself I think we are approaching to the end we, d we do definitely marathon <laughs> yeah it's been it's been a long webinar uh, but there's a few questions that i think we really need to answer sure and there's several questions about wim hof method yeah does that help well it's uh, it's been researched and it actually we have uh, referenced that in our book the biohackers handbook about it it actually uh, upregulates certain immune cells and actually helps the immune system w function well, so I, I think it's it's a good good uh, hack or good tool to improve your immunity. Right. Yeah. yeah. And um, it it can be helpful in the beginning of the infection. So I think some of the studies with the Wim Hof method that Wim Hof did with a group of people was basically yeah. to pre uh, prevent uh, getting sick from a deliberate um, contamination. Yeah. They were actually measuring different kind of interleukins and then they saw that it, it was an upregulation of certain, I don't recall what, what they were, and also they, they were getting like uh, increased response in noradrenaline and cortisol, which, which are uh, actually a good thing in, in, in early infection points, so it, it might be helpful, yeah. yeah. Um, let's go really quickly through self-quantification. So if you can give us, uh, us a quick uh, like walkthrough, like what to look for yeah. uh, to figure this out if you're sick. This is actually something we already went through, I think. But uh, here's uh, the specific conclusion. Numbers, yeah. Body temperature, especially if it's uh, one, one degree Celsius, uh, daily heart rate, <coughs> Even like 10 beats, if it's chronically elevated by 10, be 10 beats, it, you might want to reconsider if there's like a uh, viral, viral infection. Uh, the HRV part we went through, respiratory rate is, is a good good measurement also. Over 30 is already like significant. So th these are uh, kind of markers I pu pull off from, from one research paper uh, that you definitely should go to hospital because this this might this might be a sign of pneumonia self-quantification labs so again crp complete blood complete blood count especially the white blood cell count and the differential so you can actually see whether it's uh it, it, it's um, like neutrophils or other others other cells in there Polymorphonuclear leukocyte count, good one, uh, IL-6, you know. Yeah. Uh, how about like nutritional deficiencies? Like we have uh, this online course on shopbikercenter.com yeah. where you can basically order a pretty thorough test in your local lab and then yeah. with the course you can interpret the results yourself so you can figure out if you are 
basically lacking in some parts of your system that might make you more susceptible. Yeah, and also basic metabolism and, and vitamin D for sure, folate and so on. So I I have done this course just to help people to understand if they self-quantificate and do own laboratory tests so that they get the most of them. So please welcome and join the course if you, if you really like to understand better the values. I think we have, you know, most of these things on the table right now. If you l- want to learn more, check our books, The Biker's Handbook. Um, it's shipping globally uh, from our store at shop.bikercenter.com. Seamland's book, Metabolic Autophagy, goes into the different ways how you can activate autophagy and uh, help your body to get rid of uh, damaged cells. And um, yeah, the Optimize Your Lab Results test we just mentioned. And, and there's also the Biker's uh, uh, invisible immunity guide that goes deeper into it. We will be sending out the Biker's flu guide uh, or over uh, 50 pages, uh, 60 pages uh, total with references, uh, which go through in very detail, um, much more than what we were, ha- were able to cover in this webinar, how you can protect yourself from viral and infections, what are the uh, what have the highest efficacy that are out there, uh, busting some myths. Um, uh, we, we definitely recommend you to check out some of those things. And uh, with that, uh, I want to thank everyone for joining us uh, for the Biker's um, flu webinar. Definitely uh, follow Biker Summit um, and Biker's Handbook. Uh, on social media, if you check Biohacking Book uh, on Instagram, if you go to biohackingbook.com, you can find our book, and uh, bikersummit.com, you can find our future conference coming up in Amsterdam on 5 and 6 of June, as well as 16 and 17 of October in Helsinki. Uh, These times are a really, really good reason for you to become more aware of your own health, because most of the stuff that we researched actually pointed towards healthy lifestyle. So if you fix your sleep, your recovery, your exercise, your nutrition, your nutritional deficiencies, you protect yourself with technological and biological means, you will be less likely to contract a disease. And if you do, it will not proliferate as quickly in your system or doesn't end up with uh, as high of a likelihood into serious complications. So with that, you don't have to be afraid. You know, there is a lot of fear mongering out there right now on, on, on media and on social media about the coronavirus. And our recommendation is to really look at the research and the facts and start doing the lifestyle changes you can do today. Stop smoking, drink less alcohol or use it in therapeutic doses. Um, fix the things that you feel you're not doing right in terms of your lifestyle now, and you will be more protected, right? Yeah, this has been a marathon. I'm really grateful that we can share this knowledge that we have accumulated during the past decade or so, and, and just to help people to take lives in their own hands and just to have a like more hope, but also more tools that you can improve your life, be like more thriving, have a better health span, lifespan and uh, overall better health. So a lot of stuff uh, <laughs> to incubate here and uh, and uh, more in the guide. So 
Yeah, we'll send Thank the guide by email and uh, check shop.bikercenter.com. There is all the curated products we are shipping internationally. So thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, yeah, let's have some more Corona. Jaakko has already sipped that in a few hours ago. <laughs> my, my favorite. Thank you very much. My, favorite, <laughs> my other favorite <laughs> beverage is Ebola. Yeah, that's in the morning. <laughs> With these jokes, we are out. Yeah. Uber and Corona. Thank you very much.